Inheritrix Productions. Sheroes and Zeros with the Moxie Sisters. Hi, Roxy. Hello, Foxy. How you be today? How's it going over there? Well, so last time my muffler was dragging. And this time <laughs> I'm not a car. I'm just me. And I think a car is dragging me. Ah. I'm in a protective suit so that my skin doesn't come off. But yeah, I'd say I'm a little tired. But I'm super, super psyched about our divas today. Oh, this I is going to be fun. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, I am psyched too. And so, yes, uh, Moxie baby friends out there, this is a very special show today. And it's special for a bunch of reasons. But mainly, we are celebrating August, all Leos, but particularly our very own Ms. Roxy Moxie, Leo Divine. I just threw biodegradable glitter all over myself and yes, fireworks yes, shot out of my fingers. Yes, woo! Yes, woo <laughs> Stars ping ping ping! Yes, woo! Well, now it has to be shiny. Yeah, shiny, shiny. Shiny, <laughs> shiny, shiny. <laughs> That's <birthday>. your birthday. <laughs> no, there's got to be, yeah. And the silent fireworks, like no no loud bangs. No, I don't like, I actually thing. don't like the loudness I at all. I'm like my dogs. I'm like, no, same, stop. Same. Just show me the pretty, okay? Yeah, like, they no, don't have to for be real. noisy. It's, it's not, a, it doesn't have to be. And like, put them all over the place, you know? They don't even have to be actual fire sometimes. I would just like to see, I wish it was Christmas all the fucking time. Because I like yeah. bright, shiny stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I'm yeah, a raccoon. We're, we're both a little bit magpie. Yeah, we are magpies, raccoons, shiny yeah. things, crows, whatever. Yeah, we like mm -hmm. to find the little shiny trinkets and bring them home. We do. But we're not hoarders. We're, you know, I think we're both pretty responsible. About <laughs> we're not hoarders. I just want to put that on the record because I made it sound like yeah, people might be like, oh my, my god. god. Like, pack rats that's not the image no. they've got bags of teeth in their home oh, i like see glittery fabulous birds that have you know tasteful nests i say teeth because my partner at work the other day found a tooth in an air conditioner he was fixing and it was oh the fucking God. grossest oh and God. most disturbing because you know stuff happens Oh, where he works oh, so i was like yeah. is this murder was what? this just um a fight gone wrong Beating? and they stuck yeah. it in there uh, uh, like what is this a cursed object like what? really don't want to find teeth anywhere i mean there's just no context where you're like oh i found a tooth and that's a good thing no in the uh, ac i'm like what, what? no yeah. uh, no 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 even in my job, I have a <laughs> oh god almighty. Even I have anyway. a with teeth. That's yeah. I mean, no. At know. least it was a tooth. I think what would be worse is like a toe or a finger. But anyway, all right. Sorry, Moxie right. people. Okay. Hey, Moxie <laughs> friends, listen. I have a vivid imagination, time. and so does Foxy. It's true, yeah. and we just came off a big fat full moon, and it's been a weird. Mm -hmm week or two i would say uh it's being generous but at least solidly a very weird two weeks i'm gonna say so i'm excited to be back because it's been a little minute i mean it hasn't been a huge long minute since we last recorded but um we are we are still trying to stay on top of our game here friends and like 
work with our lives the way they are, which is why we're not doing a weekly show yet, which we aspire to, but we are doing, we are trying to put out two solid good shows for you a month and then a little bit more as we can. And, you know, we have things in the works. Life is shifting, things are changing. Possibilities are gonna be arising a little bit down the road, which is very, very exciting. Yes. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so we are kind of celebrating birthday month in advance in this moment, but we are definitely going to throw some Leo love all over the place for August. And then we have exciting things coming for the rest of the fall. So stay tuned and tell your friends. Um, but yeah, here we are. So we're calling this, this is going to be a special show we're calling Double Divas. So here on Shiro's and Zeros, we are usually featuring a wonderful, inspiring woman and then a woman who's like whoa WTF that's insane and or bad and or both um, usually all of the above yeah <laughs> often and some things I didn't even look <laughs> <laughs> we're often horrified while also being inspired that's what we're here to do we're here to inspire you and horrify you all in turn <laughs> but today we're taking a break from horrifying you and we're doing double divas so we're gonna take two of our very favorite iconic inspirational epic legendary level moxie mamas and tell you a little bit about them and mostly just gush about how and why they are amazing and why we love them so it's gonna yes. be a really really super fun show today i have one little previously on thing before we get started roxy do you have anything for that segment I do not. I had such a shit bag last time that I really have nothing else yeah. to, yeah. <laughs> Thinky think. Oh my goodness, for real. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I can't wait to get some feedback on that last year. A, <laughs> a goddamn doozy. I mean, like, poster child, like, the, the ABC book of bigotry, like, I was just mm -hmm. flabbergasted. Yeah. Awful woman. We, yeah. yeah amazing mm -hmm. <laughs> children don't be like that don't, don't be don't be i'm not even gonna don't let your babies grow up to be phyllises <laughs> <laughs> but on a more positive note um previously on we had mentioned a uh, young darnella frazier um and i wanted to say update on that she was recently just given a pulitzer prize this year quote for courageously recording the murder of George Floyd, a video that spurred protests against br police brutality around the world, highlighting the crucial role of citizens in journalists' quest for truth and justice. Big cheers for her. We are so proud of you. So thank proud of you and so grateful to you. I'm so sorry that it had to come that way, but thank you again. Um, we've spoken of you before you have major moxie and we thank you so much for helping to bring about some form of justice it's not really justice uh, the way that we would like to see in the world but you you really helped his family you helped the world you, yeah i did. mean really the whole yeah. world got to see how ugly and awful and evil yes and so you've you've made this world a better place and that puts you lady you are a moxie sister we love you yeah she's a shiro what bravery yes yes yeah 
cheers for Darnella. So I just want to mention that, but now I want to hand the mic over to Roxy because I cannot wait to hear about this diva she wrote. So yeah, <laughs> take it away. Let's go. Oh my God. Okay. So my sources are Britannica.com, IMDB, Wikipedia, cptv.org, the life and times of Hollywood.com. Today, Moxie friends, we turn our attention to a living legend. I'm going to make up a word here. Maybe it's already been made up, but if it hasn't, you're welcome. A phenomenal woman. Oh, I love it. I love it. I know. I like it too. I was like, hey, that just came to me before we started recording. She is Moxie personified. She is the ultra fabulous comedic genius, good hearted goddess who takes no shit a divine diva the one and only betty white mm -hmm. okay so this is cool to me oh my god I'm so betty marion white she has the same middle name as my grandmother with the same odd spelling it's m-a-r-i-o-n and my mom my grandma always kind of reminded me a little of her because she was very silly Betty Marion White, uh, same middle name as my maternal grandmother, was born in Oak Park, Illinois, which my grandma was born in Peoria, Illinois. I'm like, maybe they knew each other somewhere. I don't know. I'm just like to make up dreams. Well, on <laughs> It's a good dream. On January 17th, 1922. So yay, Capricorns. Woo! Mm -hmm. She is the only child of Christine Tess, who was a homemaker. And I've said this before, when this word is used, that is code for badass, hardworking, unpaid woman. That's correct. Her father was Horace Logan White, and he was a lighting company executive. Betty's paternal father was Danish, and her maternal grandmother was Greek, with her other roots being English and Welsh. And both of her grandmothers were Canadians. So that's oh. kind of interesting. That's cool. Yeah. Canadian connection is Betty. Okay. Yes. So Betty left Illinois and they moved to Alhambra, California in 1923 when she was a little over a year old and later to Los Angeles during the Great Depression. Mm. Yeah. That's rough times. I'm anywhere, but especially I imagine LA was quite a, yeah, quite a scene back then. I can only imagine. Yeah. There, the divine Miss Betty attended the Beverly Hills Unified School District in Beverly Hills and Beverly Hills High School, graduating in 1939. Okay, so I did not know this about this diva. She had an interest in wildlife that came from family vacations to Sierra Nevada, and she really wanted to have a career as a forest ranger. But I love that. Did you know that? I, did you know that? I didn't know that. Really? I know. I, I was know. like, that's cool, Betty. Yeah. But she wasn't able to accomplish this because women were not allowed to serve as forest rangers at that time. You know what, though? You know what? I'm glad because the world needed Betty you know and what? animals need her, too. But we're going to come back to that because okay. she manages yeah. to still fulfill her love of animals and nature. So since the male-dominated dumbass forestry department wouldn't accept our Shiro, Betty pursued an interest in writing. She wrote and played the lead in her graduation play at Horace Mann High School. And this is where her love for performing was born. Yeah. So she was a writer and, and I was like, oh, okay. okay. Yeah. I see you, Betty. I'm Self -producing. getting it. This is awesome. Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, she Elevate. just gets 
oh, she gets better and better like every good Shiro. Okay, but let's backtrack for just a moment. Her earliest work in entertainment came in 1930 when she was eight years old. Uh, she appeared on an episode of a radio program called Empire Builders, which was first broadcast on December 22nd, 1930. Wow. So it's kind of like um, eight years old. Eight years old, yeah. Wow. And I don't think she had any clue that she would go on to do what she wanted to do because, again, she's like wanting to be a forest ranger. So, but that's like a little glimmer of what's to come, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to flash forward. Yeah, it's interesting. She's an interesting person. Uh, Betty began her television career in 1939, three months after her high school graduation when she and a classmate sang songs from The Merry Widow on an experimental television show. And Moxie friends, this is like Dolly and Wilma and other just huge Shiro's. This Super Shiro's body of work is so huge. There is absolutely no way to cover it all. So I encourage you to go to IMDB and websites that are similar and just take a little gander at how much this badass woman has accomplished. It is amazing. Okay, so back to her early years. Betty's first professional acting job was at the Bliss Hayden Little Theater, but as if I can love her more. When World War II broke out, Betty put her career on hold, and she volunteered for the American Women's Voluntary Services. Her assignment include the trans included the transportation of military supplies through California. She also participated in events for troops before they were deployed overseas. She's just out there being fabulous and like mm -hmm. being pretty and being funny and being Betty, making them feel good before they have to go to something really fucking terrible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. After the war, Betty made rounds to movie studios looking for work, but was always turned down because she was, in quotation marks, not photogenic. Whatever. Uh, give me uh, fuck you. Okay. I know. Those chumps. Mm -hmm. Whatever, assholes. Okay, so she goes around these assholes like most sheroes do. And she started looking for radio jobs for being photogenic. Did not matter. Uh -huh. Her first radio jobs, yeah, she, it's what you do. You just go around a big fucking pee and you, you make your own way. Uh, her first radio jobs included reading commercials, playing bit parts, sometimes even doing crowd noises, which is kind of funny. Um, she made about $5 a show. And she would do just about anything, like singing on a show for no pay or making an appearance on a local game show. And I thought about this. This takes us back to an episode that Foxy and I did in season one called Fire and Ice, where we covered Kathy Griffin and Ellen DeGenerate. Uh, I kind of wonder if Kathy didn't look to Betty as a model because, you know, Kathy yeah. will take anything that comes along. Yeah. And as I researched Betty, this is what she did too. It did not matter. Like she mm -hmm. would do it. Mm -hmm. And it's to her hustle, credit. Man. Hustling, getting out hustling. there, getting your face, meeting people, you know, like making connections. Like that's, that's a exactly. Big part of and also not else. taking yourself so seriously yeah. that you're too good for a job. Yeah. Like she just wanted to exactly. perform. Exactly. So that's determination for you. And we love that. Uh, finally, Betty had her own radio show called The Betty White Show. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. In 1949, she began appearing as a co-host with Al Jarvis on his daily live television variety show called Hollywood on Television. 
So she's gaining attention at this point, as she damn well should be. Yeah. And Jarvis leaves the show. Betty began hosting a show by herself in 1952, and she would do five and a half hours of live ad lib television six days a week. Holy shit, dude. 30 <laughs> hours a week of live impromptu, like, whoa. Yes. Whoa. If that doesn't say moxie, nothing does. Dude, right? Yeah. And I just mean, the creativity. Just, yeah. And to just be that, like, uh-huh. in, in it, you know, what I, or, like, in, in comfortable in that role, in that moment, and just, like, you know, whatever energy, she just clearly was great at it. How could you not, how could you do that that much and not, I don't know, like, not love she, it, and, you know, she clearly loves performing, and so. She does. But that is hard work. I mean, yes, it is, very much so. Think about the gone. energy that would take. Yeah. <laughs> Way on. Yeah. So others thought she was a badass, too. And in 1951, she was nominated for her first Emmy Award as Best Actress on television. She did not win that time. But catch this. This was the first award in the new Emmy category designated for women on television. Uh Aha. So some ground is being broken, Moxie Peeps. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I can't get to all of it, but here's some very cool and empowering tidbits about the divine Ms. Betty White. In 1952, the same year that she began hosting Hollywood on television, Betty co-founded Bandy Productions with writer George Tibbles and Don Federson. They worked to create new shows using existing characters from sketches shown on Hollywood on television. So basically characters that Betty created. Yeah. Betty Federson and Tibbles created the television comedy Life with Elizabeth with Betty portraying the lead character and the show and Betty went on to win an Emmy in 1952. Bang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Life with Elizabeth was nationally syndicated from 1952 to 1955, allowing Betty to become one of the few women in television with full creative control in front of the camera and behind the scenes. She was 28 years old, by the way. She's not even, yeah, she's not even 30. Mm -hmm. Boss. Boss. Yes. Yeah. Mm hmm. Fucking Betty. I mean, she's got more ovaries than any. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Brass ovaries. All right. In 1954, Betty hosted and produced her own daily talk variety show, The Betty White Show on NBC, her second show to feature that title. Like her sitcom, she had creative control over the series and was able to hire a female director. Ah. Boom, pow, in your face, big P. That's right. Women uplifting other women. Woo, love to see it. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. That's what sheroes do. The show, of course it did, faced criticism for the inclusion of Arthur Duncan, a Black performer who was a regular cast member. Local Southern stations, a.k.a. willfully ignorant racist cousin fucking fuckstains, threatened to boycott unless Duncan was removed from the series. And in response, our super shiro and diva said, I'm sorry, live with it. Uh huh. And then she gave Duncan even more airtime. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes, she did. 
Another boom pow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she wasn't serving up that mayo crap. So ratings go down because, you know, assholes. But by the end of the year, in you know, the show didn't make it. Whatever. Betty did the right thing. Yes. And no doubt the pressure to join in that racist bullshit was enormous, but Betty did not cave because Moxies don't compromise with evil turd wagons. No, we do not. That's right. That is correct. Okay. Because of time and the level of epic we are dealing with, I'm going to highlight the shows that Betty is probably most well known for, but I mean, my God, again, scroll for days. She was on the Mary Tyler Moore show, which I think... Um, for our younger Moxie friends out there, uh, that's, I'm sure you can find episodes of that on YouTube. It's an old show. It's fun. Here's my fave. This is probably why Betty reminds me of my grandmother, because we would watch this together. She played Rose Nyland on the Golden Girls, which Foxy and I both love this show. Ah! They're my imaginary adopted grandmothers in my head. Like, and uh -huh. our sister JW Moxie and I used to stay up late at night because it would be on like late and there'd be like three or four episodes in a row. And we would just yes. be like, oh, the grandmas are on. Come on, girl, sit in here. Let's, let's watch this. I remember when my maternal grandmother passed and I couldn't sleep that night and I got up and I turned on the television and guess what was on? And I was like, hey, grandma, hey. watch the Golden Girls. Yeah, that's such a great show. Oh my god, um, it was so ahead of its time. And she time. was so it good. Was Think about up. how yeah. it was. I want to grow up to be them. Okay, so here's the thing, though, about her in particular. I was thinking about this. Betty's a very, very smart woman. And originally, she was yeah. supposed to play Blanche's character. And Blanche was, um, oh, good lord, I'm so terrible with names. Uh, oh, uh, what's um, I'm, uh, There we go, Rue. Yeah. We love you, Rue on the other side, but we love you and we know you can hear us. Um, Rue was supposed to play Rose Nyland, but they switched the two. Ah. Think about how hard though it is to play naive and gullible and kind of goofy, almost sometimes yeah. a little bit dumb <laughs> well. Like that's yeah, not an easy yeah. thing to do. And, and make so it believable and not believable over the top. One and lovable. And, the, and like she's in the, within the ensemble, like that character of like, the fool or the, the, you know, the one that's often the butt of the joke because they're not that bright, but she was always able to keep like Rose had such humanity and she was, you know what I mean? So even when the other gals gave her a hard time, it was never like nasty, you know, it was just no. like giving Rose shit because it's just Rose being Rose. you know. And she never, she never really got it because it just went over her head. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Betty, thank you for that role. I mean, my God, Rose Nyland will always be one of my favorites. And that show is forever in our little Moxie hearts. Yay! It's part of what gave us Moxie is little little women. I think we talked about this at one point. Actually, I'm glad we're talking about this because I had said something about like we had so few like badass sheroes, grown women characters on TV to look at. I mean, there were like the sitcom moms, but they were always kind of like usually not the point of the plot of the show at that episode. You know, it never centered around pretty mom, bland. Yeah. But here was this show with these older women. And honestly, like, if you look at it, none of them were that old when they played those old, old women. But, no. um, but to see four older women, retirees, if you will, like hanging out as roommates, first of all, like they've got this chosen family, roommate, housemate, family situation. And they're going through all the 
things that we go through as human beings, but to see like, we talked about this with the problem of elders being dishonored and being forgotten and being made like their lives just invisible smaller and smaller yeah. and invisible. And so that show was such a fuck you to that whole way of thinking, you know, and it's absolutely. Is. Yeah. And I think it's like some kind of the universe gave us a miracle that that show even ever got made, but it, you know, so it was so great. It was brilliant. And it was wonderful to see these older women still had active sex lives and still, yes. it's not like they just like started, you know, making doilies, you know, as the right. big would they have us believe. Volunteering and working part-time. Yes. And having Helping and each other. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's that's one of our faves, Moxie Peeps. And if you don't know Golden Girls, oh my God, let's go and find it. Go it is find it. Yeah. it's wonderful. It's magic. All right, so Betty has been in movies too, and here are just a few. In 1962, she made her feature film debut in Advise and Consent, and I'm going to go back and watch that. I'm not familiar with that film, but I'm going to watch it. And her later movies included the thriller Lake Placid in 1999, which I'm going to pause there because, okay, we had only seen Betty doing Rose Nile, and most of us had anyway, or she had been on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Yeah. And she was so, <laughs> she's like giving people the middle fingers and saying, fuck you. And I'm like, this is coming out of Betty. Why? Like, what's happening here? It was awesome. It was, it was oh, I yeah. loved it. Yes. She, she stole that movie. Oh, she did. She did. That's what, I mean, that's what makes it worth going back to watch. Like it's, it's the Betty White show. It's always yeah, a show. It no is what show it is. <laughs> well, and she did uh, romantic comedies, The Proposal, which She's that one's got fun. a really cute part in that movie. Yeah, I she love does. She did You Again in 2010. Uh, if we want to get to more recent stuff, in 2019, she voiced the character Bitey White, a teething ring in the animated feature <laughs> Toy Story 4. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Mighty white. Mighty white. Yeah. <laughs> so let's get to awards. But first, let me say this very clearly. Betty White was the first woman to produce a national television show. The first woman to star in a sitcom. The first producer to hire a female director. And the first woman to receive an Emmy nomination. So I bow to you, Betty. I bow. Okay. All right. Now, because her work is beyond, 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 I'm going to hit on the highlights. And then I want to talk about what kind of person she is. Okay. So her major competitive awards include five primetime Emmys, a daytime Emmy, a Grammy Award, two Screen, Actor Guild, Screen Actors Guild Awards. Sorry, Moxie Peeps. I... I'm being, uh, I'm having a Moses moment today. Uh, <laughs> for those of you that don't know what that means, just Google it. I'm sure it'll tell you. Uh, her honorary awards include the 2009 Screen Actors Guild Life Achievement Award, the 2010 Britannia Award to Charlie Chaplin Award for Excellence in Comedy, the 2015 Daytime Emmy Lifetime Achievement Award, Snap. Yeah. She also won, and this is again like you couldn't love her anymore. She also won the Society of LGBTQ Entertainment Critics Timeless Award. Oh, yes, friends, yes. like all sheroes, Betty loves everyone. She's not a bigot. 
and they love her. Okay. Mm -hmm. She was also inducted into the Television Academy Hall of Fame in 1995, and one of her nicknames is the First Lady of Television, as it should be. Well, as it should be. That makes so much sense. I love having that nickname in my repertoire now, the First Lady of Television, Mm -hmm. Betty White. Yes. Yes, Okay, so now to her humanitarian efforts, because I think this will kind of give us more of a, an idea of what she's just like as a person. She loved, love, 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 loves our animal friends, uh, as I said earlier. She describes herself as an animal health advocate, and she works with multiple organizations, including the Los Angeles Zoo Commission, the Morris Animal Foundation, African Wildlife Foundation, Actors and Others for Animals. Her interest in animal rights and animal welfare began in the 1970s. I mean, that's when it kind of reached its peak while she was both producing and hosting the syndicated series, The Pet Set, which spotlighted celebrities and their pets. So I've got to find that. Oh, that sounds super fun. Doesn't it? In the the early 70s, The Pet Set. I know. Maybe we can find that and we can like link it. Yeah, because that would be a lot of fun to watch. I'd love to take, I'm not a celebrity, but I still love to take my dogs on the show. And this is my blind schnauzer who's crazy. And here's my cat. She's in outer space. Meow. Okay. (laughs) Betty is also, sorry, sorry, my peeps. I just had a little outburst there. Betty's also donated a lot of money to help our animal friends Mm -hmm. because she, you know, she walks the talk because yeah. that's what Shiro's do. And that's what divas do. That's uh-huh. Uh-huh. And this is sweet. It's way beyond due. And I say it's sweet because I think it gave Betty joy. So if it gives Betty joy, it gives me joy. On November 9th, 2010, the USDA Forest Service, along with Smokey Bear, made Betty White an honorary forest ranger. Oh, that just warms my heart. Oh, Smokey the Bear was there. Mm-hmm. That's good stuff. Betty has also published seven books and recorded audiobooks, one of them earning her a Grammy. And now I want to get to some quotes from this beloved badass because we all know how funny she is, oh but she's God. very thoughtful too. So here are just a few of her words so our friends will feel like they know this, this diva powerhouse hero even better. She said, and I quote, you can always tell somebody by the way they put their hands on animals. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wise. Absolutely true. I love this next one. I may be a senior, but so what? I'm still hot. Yes, you <laughs> are. Fucking snap, Miss Betty. Yay. Yes, you are. Here's what I love. I really don't care with whom you sleep. I just care what kind of a decent human being you are. <gasps> Fucking revolutionary. Yes. Hello. Thank you, Betty. Thank, Thank you, you, Betty, because mm-hmm. that even has to be said. What the fuck? I know, okay. Right? okay, so this quote is nine years old, but I love it. Betty said, I'm having the time of my life and the fact that I'm still working. How lucky can you get? I'm 90 years old and still able to work as much as I do. That's a privilege. Betty Marion White, it is a privilege to share just a snippet of your life, your tireless work and your superhero determination. It's an honor to be on this earth with you. Foxy and I both adore you, as do millions and millions of others. 
You've made me laugh so many times and laughter is healing. So thank you for bringing me and Foxy and millions of others healing laughter and joy. And thank you for standing up to bigots. Thank you for caring deeply for our non-human partners on this planet and walking the talk. Betty, we love you. And this world is a better place because of you. Betty White forever. And I have two interesting tidbits that we can come back to later about her friends and, oh. and, a, and a friend of me. Yeah. Oh, we love a frenemy story. That's always mm -hmm. fascinating. Ooh. Come back to that. We have another badass coming, though. Similar to your story, Roxy, I'm going to, you know, there's just no way to cover a lifetime of amazingness. And we are both talking about our um, Moxie grandmothers generation, yes. you know, and so um, when you start out as a badass as a young person, and then you're still being a badass when you've been on the planet for eight or nine decades, like that's about as moxie as it gets. Yes, it is. So, without further ado, Roxy friends, please allow me to take us all back to an extraordinary moment in my own life. Truly, this is a, a highlight moment, like a memory I will always treasure. So picture this, uh, <laughs> let's do it like Sophia from the Golden Girls. Picture it, <laughs> Manhattan. The year was 2011. And I happened to come across this notice in the Time Out New York that one of my favorite authors was gonna be doing a book signing for her latest book. And it was coming up in a few days. So I grabbed our sister, JW Moxie and was like, girl, come on, we're going to this thing. And our, our Shiro Diva was so funny and approachable and self-deprecating and just full of fascinating, wonderful stories from her life and her career and her adventures. And she literally walked up to the lectern and was like, I hope you all have some questions because I haven't prepared anything. What do you want to know? And just hands shot up in the crowd and she would just point to a person and they'd ask her a thing and she would, and so it was just went all over the place. Like, her, like I said, her career, her spiritual journey, um, what dream role would you love to play? These kinds of questions, it was so fun. Um, and I don't, I was kind of in the back. It was not a big space. It was like a little kind of meeting sector of a large kind of bookstore. But there were so many great questions that I couldn't think of anything that was any more or, you know, it was like, everyone's asking such cool shit. I'm just gonna listen. So I was just utterly captivated by her and I'm thinking to myself, like, I knew it. She is one of the most interesting women on the planet. I am in the same room with her and I am breathing the same air as her. Oh my God. And so like, I managed to keep my shit together. To <laughs> I started to say, that's one of those where you almost want to pass out because it's so cool moments. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, oh this is the part, this is the part. Just where we, where hearing it. I'm like, ah! line up and like, we're going to, she's sitting at the table and we're going to line up and she's going to sign our books. Oh my God. Um, and so it gets to be my turn and I go up to her and she takes her books and I said something like, uh, you know, I just want to thank you because your work has meant so much to me and has changed my life. And I just admire you so much and blah, blah, blah. I don't, I didn't talk too long. You know, I tried to be like succinct and say something nice, but not too ridiculous or whatever. And she, that would be hard. It was hard. 
but she stopped and she looked at me in the eyes and she said, I bet people say you look like me. I can see it in the eyes. And I was just like speechless. I was Girl. like, have you I, told me this story? I would love that. I don't know if I have. I like, don't think you've ever told me the story. I remember when you met Steve Martin and yeah, yeah I didn't really I get don't... to meet meet him, but yeah, I got to go. You still saw him. I saw oh him. my I was god. In it was incredible because he's You've like seen famous child. people. I'm like, they're all I hiding from me. Cool moments <laughs> with, with a few cool, interesting people. But that was definitely like I I mean that's amazing. Yeah, it it floored me. And so of course <gasps> I walked out of there just like walking on a cloud. I'm the happiest I've ever been. Oh my god, I just met her. And so that was one of one of the most extraordinary moments of my life and i walked out of there just on clouds because it was just so unexpected and meaningful and it all happened kind of fast you know i didn't have like months to think about this going to happen or whatever it was just kind of a spur of the moment like let's go and so of course today roxy yes i am talking about the brilliant author actress dancer traveler spiritual explorer the inimitable illuminated diva shiro miss shirley mclean so Shirley has been a hero of mine since I was a little girl before I even knew about her work as a performer I knew her as a writer because my mom read her books and of course Mm -hmm. I was little and I didn't read her books because I was little but I remember them laying around I remember seeing her on the cover of them I knew who Shirley McLean I knew I knew about that she was a thing um and that she was spiritual and mom had kind of like you know explained whatever like little kid version of that to me so it wasn't until later on I discovered her life as a performer but I will say like I just think um she has done so much again we're going to come back to that theme of like epic legendary level of work but she's got this beautiful tough no bullshit adventurous independent spirit and I just admire her so much because there is so much to admire about her. So she's a super hero in my, in my book. And one of my like literal personal idols of like, that's the kind of, that's the kind of person I want to be, or I want to be brave enough to do that many kinds of things, even if I don't do them all well or whatever. Like she just has a bravery about her that I really admire. Well, just the fact that she, okay. So she really has no problem just being vulnerable because being vulnerable is actually the greatest strength in this world. But I remember when she did that on a limb. I remember when she started talking about her spirituality. I was a kiddo too, but I still remember that. Like I remember it. It And I remember my parents talking about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she could have, I mean, and she did get criticized for it by assholes, but I mean, it was a really brave thing to do. You know, exactly. it could have had repercussions, I guess you would say like, oh, she's mm-hmm. a kook, blow her off, blah, blah, blah. No, she's yeah. fucking badass. Well, and that's the thing. That's part of the reason I want to talk, talk about her because you will still see her described as kooky or quirky or the, you know, they use oh, really, really like cutesy diminishing language about her. And here's the other thing, what you just said of like, we entered the story of Shirley MacLaine after Shirley MacLaine was already a very well-established part of pop culture in America. So for her to be then coming out at the time we were children with her spiritual writing, and I'm going to put myself out there and talk to you about what I believe and take it or leave it. I don't really care. Uh, she gives no fucks, which is one of the main things I love about Love that. We'll get into yes. more. Um, but yeah, so once I understood the context of all that, 
later in life, it was like, oh, well, no wonder our parents were all talking about it because, you know, they already, they already had had Shirley MacLaine in their life since the 60s. So let's Well, and just anyone with an open mind would be super well, interested right. in that, you know? If you're yeah, not just exactly. like, a, I'm a 3D dummy and there's nothing else but this. No. Walls and, think, and a box and a yeah. blah, blah, blah. I think she was speaking to a lot of people of her generation who were yes. curious and searching and having their own spiritual questioning. And she was just, you know, like, let me share mine, which I think, again, like you said, brave is the word that like comes up over and over to me with her. Um, so to take us back to the beginning, <laughs> it's not even a cute pronunciation. I don't know why I said that. So, like, I was, I think it's funny. Just go with it. <laughs> the banang. Back at the beginning. Uh, uh, yes, it's worse from here, girls. I don't know. Hold on to your titties. I'm going to do my best. Holding on. Here we are. Backside of the full moon. Everything's been a little much. Um, so April 24th, 1934 in Richmond, Virginia, Mrs. Kathleen Corinne McLean Beatty, 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 and Mr. Ira Owens Beatty welcomed their first child into the world, and they named her after a famous actress who was only six years old at the time, Miss Shirley Temple. And so the world was blessed with baby Shirley McLean Temple. No, baby Shirley McLean Beatty. Now, I want to say the McLean, I am saying it differently because it is different. It was her mother's maiden name, which was her middle name as a child, you know, her given middle name as a child. It's M-A-C-L-E-A-N. So it, okay. she changed She changed things when she took her stage name later, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah, because McLean is like a little bit, you know, I'm getting images of like scrubbing things. Miss McLean, Miss McLean. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, we're on the same page. She's like an <laughs> Irish version of Mr. Clean, but you know, she doesn't have a Put your gloves on first. <laughs> right. She's got her hair, hair, hair chip on her head. Her curls. <laughs> that was a real lucky charms moment. Sorry. Yeah. So Kathleen, Shirley's mother, was Canadian. So we have another Canada connection with our divas today. Um, okay. She was Canadian and was a drama teacher. So that's clearly where some of the artsy creativity stuff comes from her mama. Shirley's father was variously a professor of psychology, a public school administrator, and a real estate agent. So, you know, like he sounds like a guy with an interesting mind and like work, you know, organized structure. I don't know. Like it's an interesting parent. A people person kind of person, I guess. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, interested in people. Yeah. All of those jobs require... People. And I think Shirley is a very naturally like interested in people kind of person too. And when Shirley was three, her baby brother Warren was born. He also went on to become an actor. You might've heard of him. He did okay for himself. Mm -hmm. So they moved around a little bit within that area when she was a little kid, but they settled down in Arlington for good when her dad got a job uh, at the Thomas Jefferson Junior High School. And Shirley played baseball on an all-boys team, holding the record for most home runs, which earned her the nickname Powerhouse. Oh my God, I'm screaming on the inside. I'm screaming, I'm screaming, I'm screaming. Ah! Okay, it came she out. She was a powerhouse. She is a fucking powerhouse. Mm -hmm. Even the little boys back in the day knew she was a fucking powerhouse. That's so, right. I bet they didn't know. fuck with her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, um, but 
for all of her athleticism, as a very little girl, Shirley had had weak ankles and would fall over with the slightest misstep. So her mother decided to enroll her in ballet classes at the Washington School of Ballet at age three. Damn. Yeah. This was the beginning of her interest in performing. She never missed a ballet class. In classical romantic pieces like Romeo and Juliet and The Sleeping Beauty, she always played the boys' roles because she was the tallest in the group and there were no boys in the class. Eventually, she had a substantial female role as the fairy godmother in Cinderella, which is awesome. But while warming up backstage, she broke her ankle. But she was so determined to perform, she tightened the fucking ribbons on her toe shoes and proceeded to dance the role all the way through before calling for an ambulance. Oh my God, Shirley, I have chills, Foxy. I know I have like ankle pain. It's like diva alert though. Diva alert, diva alert. Stars are shining, glitters flying. Holy shit, man. Wow, okay. Woo. So eventually she did quit ballet because she realized like one, she didn't really have the ideal build for it. And two, it was just too demanding and you could get your whole life like sucked into that world. And she wanted to kind of do other things. So she kept dancing other styles and she ended up starting to do theater in high school and she was a cheerleader. So, all right, we're going to get into this epic tale of Shirley's divaness. Uh, But again, I'm only going to be able to give like a slice of her amazingness because her work began in the mid 1950s and has continued to today, covering seven decades. So she's made about 60 films. She's done numerous television projects and has written 15, maybe 16 books. I I think I missed a couple in the count, but some over 15 books, we'll say. And so, yeah, I can't, I cannot cover it all, but suffice it to say her body of work is large, diverse, and impressive by anyone's standards. Her path to becoming a professional performer was that in the summer before she graduated high school, she went to New York City and got a part in the chorus production of, guess what show? Oklahoma. Isn't that funny? Oh, no coincidences. What a mess. Anyway, um, so... After she graduated, but still, I mean, that's like, kind yeah. of great, though. For she us, even out of anyway, high school, right? And she like, well, yeah. I mean, you see what I'm saying? Like, there's no coincidences. Like, we were meant true. to talk about her today. Well, right, uh-huh. right. That was her first big show. And so, the following summer, after she did graduate, she moved to New York City completely. This was in 1953, and she landed a dancing role in a chorus on Broadway. And the following year, in 1954. She was hired as an understudy to Carol Haney, who was in the pajama game on Broadway. And one night in May, Carol, this is kind of ironic, injured her ankle during a matinee. So Shirley went on for her that night and she stayed in the role for a few weeks. So at one performance, film producer Hal B. Wallace saw her, loved her, and signed her to Paramount Pictures. Yes, yes. She's been in New York. I didn't even know she was a dancer. Yes, I didn't even started as a chorus dancer and then yeah. Ooh, okay. Yeah. So her film debut was in 1955 at age 21 in Alfred Hitchcock's The Trouble with Harry, which is a great movie, by the way, kids. If you haven't seen it, it's it's a classic. It's a really good one. It's one of my favorite Hitchcock ones. It's not as dark and harsh as some of his films are you know what I mean it's got a little more like sense of humor it was still during his English when he was making films in England I need to 
I don't know if I've seen out. that one or not. I think I've seen most of them. But... You probably have. It's probably just been a minute, but it's a pretty, it's a pretty well-known classic. But yeah, she was just a little baby, twenty-one-year-old at the time. Oh my um, god, I was like housed all the time at twenty-one. This woman is a badass. Yeah. Uh, no, she was winning a Golden Globe for this performance for best. Oh my god! Actress. Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> badass. Uh, and then she went on to make four more films in the 50s, concluding with Some Came Running in 1958, for which she was nominated for a Golden Globe and an Academy Award. That brings us to the 60s, where things really got popping for Shirley. In 1960, she was in the original Ocean's Eleven, co-starring with Jack Lemmon in, and then same year, she co-starred with Jack Lemmon in The Apartment, directed by Billy Wilder, which that's also an excellent film if you haven't seen it. That movie received 10 Oscar nominations, including Shirley for Best Actress, and she was beaten out by Elizabeth Taylor for her role in Suddenly Last Summer, which is a fantastic adaptation of a Tennessee Williams play, which I also love that movie, but bummer for Shirley. Oh. A lot of Shiro power there, though. A lot of Shiro power, yeah. you know. I mean, no shade to Liz. I fucking love no, her. No, I love her, too. No. So in 1961, Shirley appeared with fellow Shiro, Audrey Hepburn. And I will sidebar to say there is a fantastic documentary about her on the Netflix. And she really is a fucking Shiro. Like I knew, I knew a lot about her film career, but I didn't really know what happened to her after she kind of retired from the entertainment business. And what she did after that is stunning. And we should totally probably do a show on her at some point. She's, okay. Anyway, go watch the docs, kids. If you have a chance, um, Audrey Hepburn was a badass in her own right. So they appeared together in this film called The Children's Hour, which is this very beautiful, sad story about two young women who are school teachers and fall in love with each other. And if you haven't seen it, you should. It's a queer cinema classic. In 1963, she did Irma La Douce, which is about a sex worker in Paris just after the war. And I also love it. The character Irma's always wearing green stockings. It's like her signature thing. And Shirley's just like, gorgeous and charming and amazing in this movie and an interesting tidbit about that she actually replaced marilyn monroe who was supposed to play irma before she passed and oh, wow. shirley also replaced her on the film what a way to go in 1964. that is interesting i had no idea yeah oh okay kind of bittersweet you know like she did a great job in both bittersweet movies, but i had no idea those were supposed to be marilyn movies really interesting in 1966 no. she co-starred with michael kane right um in 66 she co-starred with my michael kane and gambit i love michael kane um, <laughs> i love him too <laughs> um and then in the late 60s is when one of my absolute favorite shirley things ever happened um this was in 1969 and the film sweet charity debuted this is my favorite musical of all time i love the character i love the story i love the supporting roles i love 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 the music and the choreography is literally legendary it launched bob fossey's film directing career he was already well known as a choreographer but this was his first directing uh job and he then went on to make cabaret and become you know bob fossey in international star did um, not know that okay yeah. And honestly, like this movie, like it's surely at her most fucking adorable and sharp and wonderful. And the story is about this gal that works at a dance hall in New York City back in the day. Um, these were places where men could go and pay to dance with the ladies. So it's like low key sex work, but not really, you know what I mean? It's kind of in that gray area. Like you're not super 
she wasn't like super proud to be working in this dance hall but she no. has these amazing girlfriends that work there including uh these girls played by the fabulous cheetah rivera and paula kelly and the three of them have this trio dance on the roof of the club and it's like i live i mean the costumes like they're just the dancing is phenomenal um it's so, so great. So, you know, Charity has some bad luck with men. She thinks she's found this great guy, but then he he basically dumps her on their wedding day because he can't get over the other men from the dance hall. Like he's just a fucking patriarchal dick in the end. Um, Ew. So Charity's like, he bails on her and she's alone, but she's like different now. Like she's not as sad as before. And she's like walking through Central Park and this hippie gives her a flower and she like smiles and takes the flower and she's kind of got a spring in her step. And you can just tell like, she's okay. She's not all bummed out that this dickhead couldn't get over himself and love her properly. Like, fuck uh -huh. you, dude. And so in this original form on Broadway as a play, the show ended with a blackout stage and three neon signs that read, and so she lived hopefully ever after and I oh kinda, that's wonderful isn't yeah. that great that's really smart mm -hmm. so that's part of why i love that movie is it's a romantic comedy in a lot of ways but she doesn't end up quote getting the guy at the end like she gets her good and it's yeah awesome. that's the best walks off into the city to go be badass uh charity valentine on her own so it's fantastic I could gush all day about it, but I love it. And if you guys haven't seen it and you love some great dancing and some great music, um, that's the number big spenders from that show. Uh, oh, wow. If they could see me now, that number in the movie is one of my favorites because she is so cute. And she's I can't believe I haven't seen like this. A top hat and a cane. Yeah, we should watch it together when we get to. We should because my partner is we'll not into musicals. Yeah, we'll um, do that. He we'll starts like. Night. <laughs> I, I can <laughs> see his face starting to melt off, and I'm like, okay, and not oh, in I a know. good way, friends. Right. No, yeah. yeah. No. So we'll we'll have yeah. our own fabulous yeah. night. <laughs> we'll do that. So Shirley was nominated for a Golden Globe for this, and one of the things I love about. Shirley herself that kind of I feel like is sort of represented by the end of that movie and like Charity's journey as she goes through the, the movie is that she always knew it was just a big game like Shirley never took herself or anyone else or anything else that seriously so I want to share this quote um because she talks about this in I've read a number of her books and it comes up it's come up more than once um she says quote all life, even the cruelest drama and most absurd comedy is a form of show business, a kind of performance. And I have been lucky enough to have created the moving picture show of my life. I have starred in it, produced it, written it, directed, even financed and distributed it. What's even better is that I get to rerun it now and then to see things I might have missed back then. So that's cool. I that's a good that's, attitude about yeah. life. So in the 70s, she appeared in Two Mules for Sister Sarah with co-star Clint Eastwood. She plays a nun on the run in Mexico, which is hilarious. I've seen that one. Um, yeah. And here's a hilarious big P tidbit from the director of that film, uh, Nutsack Don Siegel. He said of her, quote, it's hard to feel any great warmth to her. She's too unfeminine and has too much balls. She's very, very hard, end quote. Fuck you, idiot. Whatever. 
I take that as code as like she wouldn't let him railroad her ass and she uh-huh. stood her ground and she had input on how she wanted to fucking do her job and like I know having it. He Probably, was just a booger uh, on her shirt and she flicked it off because that's uh, all he was. And he Fuck was like, him. you don't want to go to my trailer and feel my pain. And she's exactly. Like, mm, no, bitch. I actually have an international affairs with far more interesting men than you. Goodbye. And Fine. honestly, kids, like, I didn't even get into that. I will say she was in an open marriage for a number of years. Uh, I think she got married in the 60s and she and her husband were married for maybe 15 or 18 years. They have one daughter named Sachi. Um, but yeah, she's mostly been in long-term, but kind of open or non-traditional relationships, I guess you could say. So, and I think later in life, that's really not been her focus. I don't know that she's even had a partner of any kind in years. So she was busy also doing writing and it was in 1970, she published her first book, Don't Fall Off the Mountain. In 1972, she wrote a book about George McGovern as part of her support for his presidential campaign against Nixon. By the way, fuck Nixon. Uh, In 1970, yes, fuck Nixon forever. In 1975, her book, You Can Get There From Here, came out. In 77, she starred with the late, great Anne Bancroft in The Turning Point, for which she was nominated for an Oscar. And in 1979, another of my favorite favorites of her films came out, co-starring the great Peter Sellers called Being There and Shirley won both a Golden Globe and a BAFTA for this. It's a great movie. Have you ever seen I have movie? not seen that. And I oh, mean, I, I like Peter it. Sellers. You'll yeah, it. It's such a sweet, sweet movie. Like it, okay. it's very tender and it's very quirky, but it has like the greatest heart and she's wonderful. I mean, the two of them together, it's just, it's heaven. You know, it's really their movie. It's the two of them. I mean, there's other things happening, other people, but it's mostly about those two characters and it's so good, it's so good. So that brings us to the 19 roaring 80s and one of Shirley's most iconic film roles, which was 1983's Terms of Endearment. That was a great movie everyone yeah that that rocked everybody's world at the time oh fox if we did get to see deborah winger you like took me that's to, right that's yeah right. To her, give a talk. she's a she's a shiro yeah she is a shiro she's a badass lady um mm-hmm. so yeah and i think she i think deborah winger was nominated for best supporting actress for this too i'd have to check the maths on that but surely won the oscar for best actress for terms of endearment and that same year, her fourth book, Out on a Limb, was published. And that's the one we were talking about. We remember like our moms mm-hmm. and our friends having. She put two more books out during this decade. And in 1987, a TV adaptation of Out on a Limb came out in which Shirley plays herself. And like we already said, like I think everything about that, the book, the project, the fact that she was playing herself, like it's- I saw very... that by the way, because yeah. just my dad in particular is inter- interested in stuff like that. But I remember watching that and having a lot of questions. Yeah. Because I was just a kid. Right. I mean, in 87, I was 11, I think 10. I can't do that. <laughs> Born in 76. Yeah, yeah. So 10, 11, 10, 11 somewhere yeah. in there. Sorry, Moxie P, <laughs> that someone can't even do that level of math, but I can do words most of the time. We do other things. Everyone That's has their right. brain powers. We don't have the same ones and we don't need no. all of them. That would be too much. My brain's like, fuck math, you're boring. Um, yeah, but yeah, I remember seeing that. I do. Yeah. And I was like, oh, hmm. 
questions. Surely she's here to bring questions. She's here to be mm-hmm. like, I'm, I don't know what let's, let's investigate. Let's, let's explore together. You know, mm-hmm. I love her curiosity and her adventuresomeness and we'll get into that in a minute. Um, but 89, 1989, big year in the world, also in iconic Southern cinema because it was the debut of Steel Magnolias. That to date is my favorite role that she's ever played. And I know it is Lisa, for most people, I mean, but you just can't, you can't beat that. She was no. fucking brilliant and so funny. So funny. Oh my I mean, God. It's I like, I wanted to be Weeza. I know. I to be Weeza. And yes. I did have a giant dog. I'm like halfway point. there. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. I'm having my Weeza glimpses. I'm just weaving her in all the way through, I think, instead of. Yes. Yes. But yeah, the late great Olympia Dukakis, St. Dolly Rebecca Parton, Daryl Hannah, Sally Fields, Julie Roberts, and many other outstanding actors. It's it's a it's an American classic for yes. sure. But the following year, another one of my favorite Shirley movies came out, which is Postcards from the Edge, in which she co-stars with Meryl Streep, and mm-hmm. which was written by the late great Shiro 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 Carrie Fisher oh i didn't know fisher wrote that oh that makes it even more badass the movie is about carrie fisher's relationship with her mother debbie reynolds and so shirley's playing the debbie reynolds character and meryl is playing the carrie character and there is a scene with those two women they're like in uh meryl slash carrie's character's uh agent's office talking about what they're going to do about her career now that she's had this like drug rehab moment and gotten in trouble and it's a it's a two shot of like across the desk you're in like the agent's point of view just seeing these two women and then they flash to him occasionally um and the work that they are doing like what i love to do is watch that scene and watch the one that isn't talking and watch what she does and it is flawless it is one of the best duet scene you know i mean it is a trio scene but like those two women in that scene it's just one of my favorite movie scenes ever I haven't seen that movie in a really long time and I had no clue that that was the connection. I mean, yeah. it's, I can't even tell you how long ago it's been since I saw that. Well, I liked yeah, it. I remember liking it, but yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I just learned something else new. That's yeah. great. And that yes. same year, she published another book, Going Within, A Guide to Inner Transformation. She made eight more films during the 90s, including two more of my favorites, Defending Your Life and Guarding Tess, both mm. fantastic movies. Published another two books, Dance While You Can, and one of my also favorites of her books, My Lucky Stars, A Hollywood Memoir. So y'all, if you're not here for like the woo-woo part of Shirley's story or like her adventures around the world and you just want to know the Hollywood dirt about her you know, performer life. It's a great, it's a great read. It's super fun. It's real juicy. You learn some interesting Hollywood backstory tidbits. So I highly recommend that one if you're into that sort of thing. And again, like there are just too many things to get into. She is legendary, epic, prolific. I will just shout out a couple of other things that I totally love of hers, which is Richard Linkletter's 2011 film, Bernie, in which she co-stars with Jack Black and Matthew McConaughey. And I think that film is so wonderful and strange and it's like a little sleeper movie and it's based on a true story out of Texas and she's brilliant. They we just watched that not that long ago as a I matter of fact. I watch it over, you know, at least once a year. I mean, I just, every now and then I'm like, oh yeah, I need to watch Bernie again. Jack Black is yeah, she, brilliant in it. But he did a great job. Yeah. 
Well, it's such a crazy story. I really, really had a lot of questions after that because because it is based on a true story. And, you know, at the end of it, they showed the, the pictures of the actual, you know, real yeah. Marjorie yeah. Burning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quest Jones. Hmm. Um, and then also Ben Stiller's adaptation of The Secret Life of Walter Mitty that came out in 2013, which honestly is just one of my favorite movies ever. It's There's something about... Movie. I first heard the story of Walter Mitty in like junior high. I think we read the the short story. It was originally a short story written in like, I want to say the forties, probably Um, maybe even earlier than that. And then there was a Danny Kaye movie version of it from the fifties, forties, fifties, somewhere. And I loved both iterations. I love the story of, of Walter Mitty. And he was this person that has this crazy, you know, imagination that he would just get sucked into and lost in. And I was that, I was Walter Mitty. And so I resonated with that character and had always loved that story. And then when Ben Stiller took that material and made that film, like it's a perfect movie in my book. I mean, obviously like no, no movies ever a perfect movie to everyone or anything like that. But I'm just saying like, in terms of your list of like the writing, the cinematography, the the casting, the the humor blended with like bittersweetness, the tone, I don't know, I, and the soundtrack, like the music is incredible. So it's a great, great movie. I and I haven't know. watched that in a little little minute. And it I can go back and watch that. Better. And yeah. I love Shirley. Like she doesn't have a huge role, but she plays Walter's mom and she's just quietly there being very important. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm she's central to the plot in fact and so i i adore her i could go on forever so um the book that i went to get signed is called i'm over all that and other confessions and it's pretty funny because they're just little short essays on like she calls it her third act in life you know she's done act one act two she's in her third act and she's just like i'm over it about this and i'm fucking over it about that <laughs> i'm over it with being polite to boring people i'm over it with bigots I, you know and then there's like yeah she's not over or like she's like i'm over it with travel and this was something i wanted to mention that i i can't remember which of her kind of autobiographical books i've read it in but when she was, there are two awesome things. So when she did her first movie with Alfred Hitchcock and she got that first fat paycheck from Hollywood, she went directly and bought a fucking apartment building in I think Malibu, California. It was like not a huge place, but like eight or 12 apartment complex, eight or 12 unit apartment complex so that she could rent all of them out, but keep one. And that way it was paid for. She always had a place to live and it would always generate income smart 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 Mm -hmm. but once she had that figured out then she would do this thing for years like her 20s 30s 40s she would get done filming a movie and she would of course this is pre-9-11 a lot of it like uh just go to the airport and like look at the big ticker you know board and be like "Mm, belize or "Mm, india or you know she would just go like pack a little bag go to the airport and fucking go somewhere and just That's have awesome. by herself. She didn't need a chaperone. She didn't need a buddy. She just, she had some money. She had some know-how and all the moxie that anybody could ever need. And so she, one of the things in that book from 10 years ago, she's like, I'm over it with traveling. Like I did so much traveling. I'm so blessed. I got to go and do and da, 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 da. Anyway, I just, I think she's grounded while still being very open spiritually and adventurous she has no fucks to give never has does not care what other people think doesn't take any of it too seriously and 
Since 1990, she's lived on a ranch outside of Santa Fe, New Mexico. She has had several projects over the last few years and has even more stuff in development going forward. I think she's 87 now. And her one of her latest projects was a book about her late dog and friend, Terry, who was her companion for 17 years. It's called Out on a Leash. <laughs> and it's about that relationship. So Shirley's still being a badass. She's still got things in the works. Still be looking for her to be, um, you know, I hope with us for as, as much longer as she wants to be here. But I feel like you said about Betty, like we're all lucky to be sharing the planetary air with this divine, gorgeous diva Shiro. And I want to share one last quote from her as we finish up her story, which of course, you know, again, just a little sampler to get you hungry for more Shirley. Shirley tells us, Moxie friends, don't be afraid to go out on a limb. That's where all the fruit is. That's brilliant. Applause. You know, I absolutely adored her role on Downton Abbey. I loved her in that. More of her. The play between between Shirley and Maggie Smith, which, uh, by the way, another bow down. Side show with just those just two, those you know two. I mean? oh hell yeah. yes i'd I be in that for that mm-hmm. uh-huh that's amazing well i want to go back to miss betty if we can for just a moment yeah, of because, course okay of course. so i want to share a friend of me story who her best friend was yes, yes. her age because i kind of gave that away but it wasn't like direct and the fact that she Let's start with this. She was married twice. She never had children. She said that she gives her all to everything that she does. And so she didn't really think that it would be compatible. I mean, she, somebody that does 30 fucking hours of, you know, ad lib a week. um, Hey, can you imagine being on 30 hours of television a week and then like the six days a week? That's just not, and then going home and having to be a mommy. I don't know. Oh my God. Okay. Mad respect for those who do that kind of level of being a human props to you, but it would kill me. It would literally put me in a padded cell. I think (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm in there with you. I'm next door. Okay. So Betty is 99 years old and she has had presidents and others like celebrate her birthday they've done like televised stuff for her but she's 99 so she is getting i mean i don't know they need to do something if she makes it to 100 and oh please goddess i pray she does but i want to talk about a frenemy story so we're going to go back to the golden girls the arthur did not like her and Betty never B. understood. I know. Betty it's never got why. B in your bonnet, B. I don't understand. I don't know. Like anyway. okay, okay. And I love B Arthur too, but yeah. here's the thing. Like Betty said, she never knew why B didn't like. She's like, I don't know why B didn't like me, but I always admired and adored B. But they did like uh, the Golden Girls did a guest appearance on, I think it was the John Larroquette show. Mm-hmm. And he had to like, um, do drag as B Arthur because she wouldn't do it. Damn B, you're being a B about Betty. What the fuck? I don't understand. I mean, I don't know, man. I don't know anyway. nothing, nothing about nothing about B other than I, you know. Love but her this is ultra fabulous. Okay, we need to cover this hero at some point because I know we both adore this woman. Awesome. Betty Wyatt's best friend was Lucille Ball. 
their mothers were friends and Betty and Lucille were BFFs. And you'll see all it. kinds of pictures of them together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Can you imagine hanging out with those two and how funny that, that would you be? You would have to wear diapers because you would be crying. I would wear a diaper. I would, yes. Yeah, it's like at least sometimes. I'd be okay with it. You're gonna pee your pants. I mean, Lucille Ball and Betty White. That's I think I fall on the floor as I'm peeing my pants and just, oh my God. Literally was, rolling on the floor. I mean. Yes. For, yeah. I loved, loved, loved learning that about her. I was like, because, you know, you, I think you said this, once you reach this level of sheroism, like it's always going to lead you to more and more and more and more sheroes because women and you know, sheroes empower each other and they stick together and they're friends and they make art together and they have fun together. And so I just wanted to share that little tidbit from Miss Betty White's life. I love it. Yeah. Love it. And wait till those two are on the other side together. Oh, oh my God. God. I want to sit at that table. I was just thinking that because I mean, you think about how goddamn funny they are on mm -hmm. screen or when they're on doing the thing. Think about how funny they would be at their own back porch you know just like kicking it at their own house you know like right because there's no, no cameras no audience exactly no lucille picture. could really cut loose because oh, yeah and then i mean i think betty started to give less and less fucks as she's gotten older she does not like however this is another little tidbit that i read about her she does not like confrontation she does not like it when someone doesn't like her it bothers her yeah yeah she's a i mean she's a genuinely nice person i think she's just wanting to be out there having fun in the world yeah and, yeah you know doing good things and like everybody just live your best life kind of stuff right. and uh i wish i hope betty and shirley have met that would be great yeah i don't i don't know i mean i didn't run across any crossover necessarily within their life but that doesn't mean anything that doesn't mean they haven't hung out we can put it on into the other. universe and maybe our moxie magic will make that happen we don't yeah. know anything's cool. possible right that would be amazing <laughs> i was just thinking of one of my favorite betty white quotes and i wish i had it pulled up to like verbatim but she basically says like why do we tell people to grow a pair of balls they're like the most delicate thing in the world like if you want to compliment somebody be like yeah you know vagina you know because that can really take a beating yes 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 like yes. vaginas are way tougher than balls like, they are way tougher than balls get some balls no get a vagina That's get a vagina y'all mm -hmm. yeah and not to make yeah. it all bio body centric i'm just saying it was a really well timed well okay quote from betty because she's making but, a point but as someone i do identify as a woman and having constant men constantly been told oh you've got a big set of balls or you know you, you keep your spare set of balls in your ashtray which i never knew what that meant um, or you need to get some balls i'm always like uh yeah. motherfucker, i don't fucking think so so when somebody does say something like that it just helps me feel more comfortable in my own skin yeah, so thank you right. betty you're right and to add to that like the amount of vagina shaming that goes on uh, yeah. in this culture so like own your fucking vagina power hello it is intense it can take a beating it can squeeze a fucking human life out into the world hello no balls ever did that <laughs> no they didn't mm -mm. they just hung there we're just sad oh, like, yeah. no i'm not sorry i'm never really not sorry really. no i buried my last fuck a long time ago i think uh -huh. I, I blew her away on the wind <laughs> down the river oh my god well this was fun i love i love getting it shot at just talking about 
mega diva sheroes that we love and why we love them and why they're awesome. And, and just for our friends out there, just to let you know, we will be doing the flip side of this coin coming up in the not too distant future, which is to say, we're also going to do a new um, special kind of show called the dueling dirt bags. And so that'll be fun because uh, Roxy and I are going to bring each other horrible, horrible people that we've never heard of and, and kind of, um, get into some of the more nitty gritty shit that maybe we don't want to put on the main show because it's a little too intense to like pair it with a cool shiro. Sometimes that's the case. It's just like a little too much. No, so, these women are so, so fucking bad. Oh yeah, my God. So like you want to, so. your, your skin just starts to peel off itself because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you're just like, what the fuck? Oh my God. Yeah. Get me out of here. <laughs> but we will have some more fun, um, fun, August Leo birthday celebrations in honor of Roxy. And we're going to have some great other stuff coming up in the fall, but um, we're so excited that you guys are listening today, whatever day that is for you. And we would love, love, love to hear from you, hear what you think of the show, or if you want to share a Shiro story with us about some Shiro from your own life that has shaped you or helped you or inspired you that we're really looking for those stories so we can share them together here on the air. We would um, love to do that. Or like send a request of somebody that you'd love for us to cover because that would give us yeah, a challenge. Exactly. Yeah. Especially lesser known folks that maybe we just haven't run across yet. You know, there's just, there's, mm -hmm. a, there's no end to the amazing women out there we can be talking about. So talk to us women and other folks, Moxie friends and sisters. Uh, you can do that by emailing us at Roxy and foxy at gmail.com and we have a facebook page for sheroes and zeros there's also a facebook pod chat group for sheroes and zeros which is super fun and you can find us on instagram at sheroes zeros so go hit us up join up link up subscribe blah, all the good stuff um any kind of ratings and reviewings is helpful because it helps the little computer hive brain uh know that we exist and that maybe other people want to listen to us so we appreciate your support and we hope that like us you're enjoying learning about these amazing and sometimes amazingly terrible but amazing nonetheless women and that that's like inspiring because i know i i re I know, i'm sure you do this too roxy like i come back to these women and some of these things we've been taught or we've learned as we've gone through these stories and i'm so grateful I am too. These women are so really mad that I didn't have them sooner, but yeah, I'm with you on that, but never, you know, <laughs> they pop up in my, in my mind from time to time. And maybe, especially when I'm having a super shitty day, like, yes. like a Wilma will pop into my mind or St. Dolly or yeah. any of the others that we've done. They're all wonderful. Yeah. Um, we're talking to the Shiro's, not the other ones. Um, <laughs> but there are times where I'm like, Hmm, I might be a zero in this moment. I don't know. <laughs> but I do think of these ladies often. And I love this show. I do, I, I do, love I do. Show too. And I, yeah. And don't find your of, inner diva. Go. Yeah. yeah. Girls. Um, that was some serious fucking diva power. That's some mega diva power there, y'all. Uh, uh -huh. High bar to set. And even if we can just channel like 10% or 5% of Betty or Shirley or any of these iconic amazing hardworking, incredible women you want to look to like it really does help get me through some hard times and i want to segue on that into recommendation station because 
I'm kind of, I have kind of a special little moment of a story around that. And I have been, like I said before, it's been a real doozy of a couple of weeks on a bunch of levels. And I've been a fan of The Clash, the punk band, The Clash, since I was about 13, I think is when I got turned on to them. And there was this documentary about Joe Strummer, the, the, the genius behind The Clash, and then, you know, also just an incredible artist in his own right. And this documentary came out like 12 years ago. And because of life and ADD and other accessibility issues, I just, it just didn't ever happen until the other night. Last night, yesterday, I don't know, two days ago. I've watched it a couple of times since I rented it. First of all, it's an incredibly well-made, beautiful documentary because so much of it is archival footage and almost all of it is told, it's all told either through Joe Strummer's own voice from his own recordings or from people who loved him and were close to him. And so I was telling you, Roxy, like one of the great takeaways from hearing Joe's story, because I was telling you too, like he's one of the artists that when I was that young and I started to like take in, you know, trying to find things, searching, where's the weirdos, where's the art? We live in this tiny little place and I want more. And uh -huh. these songs were teaching me about the world, about politics, about oppression, about uh, rebellion, about being, about caring about other people. Like there were such incredibly important messages in these really intense, amazing punk rock songs. And so The Clash was hugely influential, but then understanding that after The Clash broke up, Joe went through this, he called it like the 10 year wilderness phase. And then because of his friends and family and other people in his life, collaborators, he got inspired to start making music again. And that's when he founded um, uh, the Muscaleros, Joe Strummer and the Muscaleros, which was his band in the latter part of his life. And so it's this very epic story of like this big, this big public thing and this rise and this powerful art. And then like the backside of that and being super depressed and having a really hard time for a while. And then like finding his way back to making music, but making it in a different way for different reasons with a different spirit. And it was just so inspiring to me and I just really needed it. And it was that thing of like one artist handing another artist inspiration and, and juice. And I was just so thirsty for that. And I, I just wanna thank Joe Strummer for being an incredible human being and for the documentary makers because it was, it was a great film. And even though I was really late to the game to watch it, I needed it in that moment a lot. And it really did a lot of good for me. So it's called The Future is Unwritten. If you guys are at all interested in like punk history or you were Clash fans too, or whatever, or you just like hearing about interesting people and artists, um, it's a great, it's a great watch. And um, so yeah, that would be a, that would be a good recommendation. And then as far as new things go, because I actually did I did watch some stuff that I haven't been meaning to watch for 12 years that actually just came out. <laughs> and one of them is this piece called Inside by this artist comedian named Bo Burnham. And I just, I don't wanna say too much about it other than I didn't really know what I was getting into and it completely blew me away. So um, if, you're, if you're looking for something interesting and different, I recommend Bo Burnham's Inside. It was, it's a brilliant piece of work. And then I also watched this really cool weird show from Iceland called Katla. And it's like this weird little, I love shit from Iceland because it's like so 
everything's just kind of gray. You know what I mean? It's like uh-huh. and gray. And um, there's this uh, this volcano that's erupting. And when I say erupting, it's not like you know Hawaii with the lava. It's like just this constant um, smoke, you know, ash coming out of it. And it's been going on like longer than anybody than it's ever happened before for like a year. So the little town is kind of shut down. There's only like some scientists and a few key people still there. And this weird shit starts happening of like these people who have been missing and or have literally been dead start showing up and they're like encrusted in this like ash and mud. They're all just like covered in this black sooty kind of stuff and they just start like wandering out off the glacier. And so people are like, what the fuck is going on? So it's really, it's cool. It's like a kind of mystery. I like stuff like that. Yeah, it's moody. I've really been enjoying that. So yeah, those are my little nerdy recommendations. But I, I just, all of that to remind myself to how important art is. Like sometimes as an artist, I, for, I feel, I'm sure we all do, like a little, I'm not doing enough or I'm helpless or I don't, you know, what is this? What's the point? But I loved how you put that with Betty of like, laughter is healing. Being inspired is. is healing. Even seeing tragedy is healing because you get to have your own feelings in that moment and a catharsis. And, um, you know, and so that was like having those journeys with those pieces of like laughter and then sadness and then this like tenderness, bittersweetness at the human experience. Because at the end of that documentary, Joe Strummer says like, um, you're nothing without people. Like if you don't have, you know, if you're not, if you're not engaged and doing it for people and, you know, you can't just be an island as much as us introverts would kind of wish it was that way sometimes. That's really not the point. And so I remembered art is important. It can literally save your life. Sometimes in manner of speaking, sometimes literally. Literally sometimes, yes. Like you, I there I watched the right thing at the right time, and I knew that that was. And if you're not spiritual, that's cool. But this is how I'm gonna say it. I knew that was the universe's way of saying, "You're not alone. You need to watch this." And like you, I'd be laughing and crying and just so fucking grateful to have that moment and like to have quotation marks stumbled across it when really it was meant that I'm right. supposed to watch it because my batteries are totally fucking drained. And I'm in that awful space that sometimes we get into. And yes, art is literally life-saving and healing. And yeah, those who make it, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. To our super divas, super heroes. Um, known and for, unknown. We, we are grateful yeah, for all unknown. the artists out there. Yeah. And everyone who contributes to things getting done, who doesn't get a credit or a big name in lights. I mean, that's a lot of the work. It's, it's We're cheering for glamorous. you here. We, yeah. we fucking love you and we thank you. Thank you every single one of you for the work that you're doing. And for all of you out there, whatever you're working on or trying to get done or trying to accomplish, like, we're here. The Moxie sisters are here sending you Moxie to you and, and energy and goodness. And we just want you to go easy on yourself. Like it's been a really hard time for quite a long time. And I think we can all do with some gentleness from ourselves and towards ourselves as well as towards others as best we can manage. Hey, <laughs> y'all. Easier said than that. I think I think that's all the all the moxie news I have today. Roxy, you got anything else you want to say before we sign off? 
No, it just that it was, this was fun. And I love doing this. And, um, you know, it's, um, even if no one ever listened, I would still I be glad to Same. be doing this. I'm yeah. To be here, we're even if it's just we're just doing it for us. Yeah. I mean, but yeah. You know? If we reach one other person and they giggle, it's or worth it. Something, it's worth yeah. it. It's All of it. it. So, yay. Well, long distance high fives. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk to you kids soon. Moxie's out. Hey, lady, what's like, up? Okay. <laughs> Recording in progress. I am consenting to be recorded. Do I do consent. Oh I consent. As if Big Brother is not always watching anyway. Right. Consent or no. <laughs> By the way, fuck you, Big Brother, because I know you be listening to us. You can take one up the... We came to find out and instinctively knew as small children that people are overrated and <laughs> mm, they really are. Yeah, they so just leave me, leave me to my daydreams, please. <laughs> After the war, uh, Betty made rounds to Movio Studios. Movio, really? Movio Studios. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I need to stop making up words. <laughs> <laughs> and it sucked okay <laughs> okay but but i can't talk but i 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 very merry and white i can't talk what the fuck did Bert you say very 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 merry and white what the hell is happening here it's gonna be a lot of out very white is very white's middle name mary <laughs> that's true maybe that's what my brain just did because there is it a very white. hey children <laughs> a lot better a lot she's really hot oh, better <laughs> So yes, the good. outtakes are going to be glorious on this. Oh my god. <laughs> Betty White and Barry White. I will I'm <laughs> totally. And I would also be like, I look like Shirley McLean and stay oh, in yeah. your lane. I'm gonna run over you. Cut the fucking coup. Mm. How can we not have fun when we're talking about these two though? For real. I know. It's impossible. Yeah. Um, so Kathleen, this is interesting. We have another candidate. Oh, god damn it, Trixie Moxie, shut your hey! I bear it in mind, and then I pissed on it, and then I shat on it, and then I walked away. <laughs> and that cat came along and did the same thing. <laughs> oh, I love it. That cat well, was like, I never did give any. Yeah, cats are I'm just making up stupid. Bucks. They're born bugless. <laughs> oh, they are. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be a cat when I, when I grow up. When I grow up. <laughs>